the order and richness of nature, all speak to us of your glory. The coming of your Son, the presence of your Spirit, the fellowship of your church, show us the marvel of your love. We worship and adore you, God of grace and glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you shall live. Let us worship God. It is with joyful hearts that we come before our God of glory, our Lord of love. He promises to love us and forgive us for all of our sins. Let us confess our sins by praying the prayer of confession together. God of mercy, God of love, in humbleness of heart, we confess our sins. We forget to love and serve you and wander from your ways. We are careless of your world and put its life in danger. We talk of our concern for others, but fail to match our words with action. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Teach us what it means to love with our whole heart. Teach us what it means to love the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. May the God of mercy, who forgives you all your sins, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Friends, believe in the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
And now let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you to turn and greet your neighbors. Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. My name is Steve McConnell. I used to be a pastor here. (laughs) It's nice to be back. We uh, returned uh, late, 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 late Monday night from our two-week pilgrimage to Scotland and Narnia. And we had quite an adventure, 34 of us. uh, Covered lots of ground over a relatively short period of time. Those of you uh, had the chance to perhaps follow us on our Church of the Palms Facebook page, had the chance to see all those pictures of the places where we went. And uh, if you haven't yet had a chance to check that page, please do so. And you can see all the incredible places where we had the chance to journey as we uh, ourselves sort of celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, right? 2017 17 marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and we got to experience some of the Scottish Reformation uh, in our travels, as well as uh, the holy ground of Narnia in Oxford and other places. So anyway, more about that a little bit later in the service, but uh, we are grateful that you're with us today and thankful that we can be together as the people of God. It is always a holy moment when the people of God get together wherever they may be uh, and in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We hope that you'll fill out the friendship paths and pass those toward your neighbors and we would love for you to connect with perhaps somebody you don't know uh, after our service today. We have lots of little collections that we are about as we seek to serve our community. Many of you know that our food pantry is a very vital part of our outreach to the community. We uh, feed people about a bag of groceries every five or 10 minutes over the course of Monday through Friday. And that's a fairly enormous need that we have. And we've been about this peanut butter drive. We're aiming for 100 jars of peanut butter. A thousand. <laughs> I knew that. It says a thousand here. Uh, and we're 670 toward that goal. So we have a 330 to go, and if you would want to make your way to Costco and buy all 330 of those jars, you're welcome to, but um, we have to the end of the month to reach that goal, so we hope that you'll join us in that. 
Um, we also are looking forward to our Day of Hope, which is on July the 22nd. This is a chance we'll have to minister to 250 families here in our community, all of whom are under-resourced, many of them homeless, and trying to prepare their children to go to school so that they can go fully outfitted and equipped uh, with great dignity to their first day of school. And we have particular needs when it comes to that. We can still use more socks, both children and adult socks, as well as toothbrushes, both children and adult toothbrushes, and toothpaste. So um, perhaps you can rummage through your closets, or more importantly, perhaps go to the store and buy a few extras of those and get those to us so that we can distribute those uh, and on July the 22nd, and you can see the table out underneath the tree to get more information about those things. Bob and Sally Irwin have been usher captains here at Church of the Palms forever. Um, well, they don't say it that way, but over 20 years or so, they've been ushering Team C at the 9 o'clock service. They're standing back there in the back, and they're retiring after today, and we want to say thank you to Bob and Sally. <laughs> Give them a big round of applause. Good usher captains, you're at your post. Well done. So we will not miss you in your ushering because you'll continue to usher, but we're thankful for your leadership in that ministry over these many, many years. So we're very, very grateful. And Sarasota Young Voices is uh, in New Orleans this uh, weekend, and they are uh, touring, and they are singing, and they are competing, and they will be returning to us on Tuesday. So keep them in your prayers. Now let us continue our worship.
Let us join together in praying the prayers of our heart. Our gracious God, we love you. You are our mighty Redeemer. We're not worthy to be brought into your family, but that did not stop you. You have made us objects of mercy, recipients of grace, enabled us to become companions and siblings with our Savior, Jesus. Therefore, we come with thankful hearts, knowing that through your Son, we can come before you ever so humbly. In reverence and love, we can speak directly to you. A wonderful gift, Lord, for which we give you thanks. We pray that you'll help us to be worthy servants in every way possible, such as continually learning to love our friends, our families, our fellow believers in better ways, in developing empathy and skills that produce kindness among each other, to know more fully how to put ourselves in the shoes of others instead of offering simplistic answers. And as we open our lives to you, teach us, shape us, mold us into people that you can use to further your kingdom. Change us to the point, we pray, where you can change others through us. This morning we remember pastors and missionaries and countless workers in God's kingdom. We pray that their walk will be strengthened with you, their families, their health, and their ministries continue to grow and be strengthened. Nurture them, use them, find great pleasure in them, we pray. Father, the needs that we have also have hit close to home. Some are struggling with grief this week, some with other difficult decisions, some with health issues. Because we're many in number, we cannot list all of these but for these things, Lord, we have you. You are our ultimate resource, and we pray that you would have your goodwill in every situation. Lord, there is the matter of the turmoil and distress occurring in our country and around the world. Tornadoes, floods, strife, warfare, dissent, families torn apart. We do want to trust that you're still active working in those things which utterly confound us, so we pray you'll guide our leaders and give them the wisdom that they really need in this era. Place advisors around our president who will boldly speak your truth and help those in government leadership not to be on their own agendas, but on yours and the citizens of your world. Finally, we ask that your spirit will continue to work in our church community. We pray for your divine strength that passes all understanding to increasingly invade our lives. Give us the insight and inspiration to strengthen and encourage one another. Show us your love in new ways every day so that others cannot help but be attracted to your light living inside of us. Thank you once again for your mercy, Lord, and for your grace. We know that we would be nothing without you, and we offer our praises and gratitudes to your beloved Son, who taught us to pray, Our Father, who art, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now we're going to ask the ushers to come forward and to lead us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Shall we pray? Lord of mercy and grace, we thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. We know that when we're obedient to your call, you bless us and give us a wonderful sense of your presence. So we present these gifts to you in praise, in worship, in adoration, and ask that you'll use them to bless your kingdom. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And we're going to ask Carol to come forward and the children as well. Yeah, I'm coming. We're coming. There's not too many of us. Well, we'll see. I got something in the bag here, though. So happy summer. I know that some of you, do you want to hold this for me? Thank you. I know that some of you have started summer vacation. Just, yeah, it's okay. And um, so I, I, I'm starting off with uh, a bag, and I have a question for you guys. Come on, scoot in you, and I want to see this. All right, who can tell me what this is? Oh, okay. You guys are smart. <laughs> okay, that was sort of easy. What is this? A, a bowling ball. You're right. This is my bowling ball. Look, it even has my name on it. What's that say? That's my name. That's my bowling name. It says Trixie. <laughs> you should see what my husband's bowling ball name is. <laughs> um, well, anyway, so I have a question. What would happen if I dropped this bowling ball on the floor right here? Would it bounce back or would it drop with a thud? It would drop with a thud. Bowling balls aren't very good at <laughs> bouncing back, are they? Okay, so if I, now tell me, you think the basketball will bounce? The basket, if I drop this, it won't hit the ground and drop with a thud? Do you think it would bounce? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, it bounces. So, um, okay, so why do you think the basketball bounces and the bowling ball wouldn't? What do you think? Let's see, what? I think the basketball is squishiest. Right, okay. What the do you think? The basketball is made out of a different material than the bowling ball, and it's filled with air. Okay, anybody else? You guys are smart. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to get it back to you. You know what? I think you guys are, those are really good answers, and I'm sure there's somebody out here in the church that would probably have some answer about the density and the composition of the basketball that's key for it ability to bounce um, bounce back but it definitely bounces back and it doesn't always bounce as high but um, it, it bounces back so um, that's kind of like how the, the, the answer to this a simple answer why this bounces back is because the basketball is made with you said it it's got air in it and it's got rubber on it it's made with the right stuff. The basketball has what it takes to bounce back. And the bowling ball doesn't, does it? Guys, that's how God, that's how we are. You know, we have the ability to bounce back. When times get, when, when, it, when it gets down and when um, we get down and low a little bit, we have the ability to bounce back. God gave us the right stuff to be able to bounce back. So remember this, when you're feeling sad or down, you can remember that God put what it takes inside of you to be able to bounce back. He gave us strength to overcome that which brings us down, just like a basketball. We can bounce up because we use God's strength. If we call on God's strength, he will help us bounce back. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you filled us with the right stuff to be able to bounce back. You gave us strength and courage. Help us to remember to pull on your strength that you put inside of us, the right stuff. In Jesus' name, amen.
It is not lost on me that the most evident signs of progress of our new building took place while I was gone. <laughs> I'll make an appeal to the session that maybe I should take off the rest of the summer so more things can happen back there. I don't think that's going to work. But we are grateful, and uh, as always, we are thankful for your continued faithfulness in uh, allowing uh, this next chapter of our church's ministry to continue to go forward. Please continue in that, especially over these summer months as we uh, continue to imagine the great things that will take place uh, in that part of our campus as we seek to reach out to our community. We are thankful for all of your efforts in that part. So today we are looking at the last five verses of the book of Exodus. Um, many of you are somewhat familiar perhaps of the story that we find in Exodus, which begins with Moses being called by the burning, through the burning bush and uh, his efforts toward releasing the people of Israel from the bondage of Pharaoh and the plagues and the Passover and the deliverance across the Red Sea and then the meandering through the wilderness over the course of 40 years, which includes uh, receiving manna and quail from heaven, and as well the Ten Commandments from the top of Mount Sinai. But here we find uh, the Exodus writer concluding the story with these last five verses. So here are the word of God as it comes to us from Exodus chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in, and the fire was in the cloud by night, before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace, O Lord, and through your mercy, we pray that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Christian Huygens, the famous 17th century Dutch scientist, is known for his discovery and invention of many things of which you and I are familiar today. Huygens discovered the polar caps on Mars, the rings around Saturn, the equatorial bulge of Jupiter. He developed the wave theory of light and established the idea of centrifugal force. He also invented the pendulum clock, the kind of clock with a pendulum that hangs below, that swings back and forth, one form of which we know as the grandfather clock. And one day, Huygens had a couple of these pendulum clocks in his laboratory, and he was preparing to leave, and so he set the pendulums to swinging, but they were not in sync with each other. So he left, and a day or so later, he returned and noticed that now the pendulums were in sync. They were swinging with each other. He decided then to experiment and got another clock and set that pendulum, but set the other two pendulums separate from the other two and left. And then a day or so later, he came back, and sure enough, all three clocks, pendulums, were sw singing, swinging in sync with each other. So he added a fourth clock, same thing, fifth clock, same thing, sixth clock, same thing. Pretty soon, he had filled the whole room with these pendulum clocks, and sure enough, all of them, over a period of time, were remarkably in sync with one another. Now, this phenomenon, this synchronization of two or more rhythmic cycles that Huygens discovered came later to be called the entrainment transformation principle where two or more oscillating bodies lock into phase creating a harmonic vibration. 
It is a universal principle that takes place in chemistry, psychology, sociology, astronomy, architecture, you name it, even women's menstrual cycles. In a nutshell, what it means is rhythmic bodies adjust to the rhythms around them. As one pendulum swings, others will come to swing with it. Rhythmic bodies adjust to the rhythms around them. Now this theory of physics, this entrainment principle, which I'm sure is a whole lot more complicated than what I just described, certainly helps me to make much more sense out of the rhythm of our own lives. If, if there's anything I hear when I go about in the comings and goings is that the rhythm our, of our lives and the pace of our lives has come to be rather unsatisfactory. It is a common concern that our rhythm, our pace of life is too fast. This is not a specific concern to our generation nor even to our century. People have been complaining about the rhythm and pace of our life getting too fast for a long, long time. But life does in fact get faster and faster and we seem to like the pace of it less and less. Truth is though, we are rhythmic bodies adjusting to the rhythms around us. When the computer hit the horizon and then the internet and then the cell phone, the rhythm of the world got faster and faster and so we in turn got faster and faster. And that's why we complain about having so many time saving devices and we don't seem to be saving any time. Well, of course, there is no such thing as a time-saving device. There is only a time-using device. My computer does not save me time. It requires my time, especially when I walk into the office in the morning and face however many emails from the day before. The rhythm of my life adjusts to the rhythm of the life around me. No time do I experience this more than when I'm in the midst of a fairly significant and intense conversation with someone. Perhaps one of us is pouring out their heart to the other and then one of our cell phones goes off or a, a text dings in. A and so of course it's, it, if the phone gets answered and a conversation ensues and then finally concludes and then it's, uh, okay now where, where were we? So the intensity of what we had just been experiencing has been lost. The intimacy of the conversation has slittered away and the rhythm that we have been experiencing has now been enveloped and co-opted by the rhythm of another sphere. And strangely, one of the outcomes of all this is that we are left with no rhythm at all. It's not that our rhythm is too fast, is that our rhythm is always being interrupted. In fact, we ain't got no rhythm at all. Especially Presbyterians. <laughs> 34 of us just flew back from our pilgrimage to Scotland and Narnia where we put our bodies through two cross-Atlantic flights and about 25 different bus excursions and at the end of it all, our bodies said to us, you ain't got no rhythm. Life was not meant to be lived across five time zones. The ancients didn't go more than a hundred miles from their homes and they certainly didn't have cell phones to interrupt their conversations or texts to divert their gaze at the heavens. It would have been unthinkable centuries ago to misalign yourself from the rising of the sun to its setting. We ain't got no rhythm. But that doesn't mean that we're not rhythmic creatures. We are desperate to be aligned to the greater rhythms of God's created order. Two weeks ago, our Scottish pilgrims took a quick trip over to the island of Iona, one of the western islands of Scotland where Celtic Christian St. Columba set up his little community in the sixth century and by it brought Christianity to Scotland. And what did he set up? He set up a community of Christian brothers who lived a daily discipline of pause, a daily rhythm of pause, of community together, of farming, praying, scribing, all for the glory of God, and stopping at intervals of each day to pray 
and people from all over the region came to Iona because they were desperate to be included in that same rhythm. And the irony was not lost on us that as we were touring this island, we were touring it in a hurry because we had to get back to the bus. We ain't got no rhythm. But that doesn't mean that we're not rhythmic creatures. We are desperate to be aligned to the greater rhythms of God's created order. So with all this in mind, might we find these last few words in the good book of Exodus quite striking. The story takes place in the midst of Moses and the people of Israel, as I mentioned, wandering through the desert. They have encountered God in all sorts of ways, the, the burning bush, the plagues, the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, the quail, the manna, the Ten Commandments given from Mount Sinai. It has been quite a journey, and all along, God has been revealing God's power, revealing God's love, revealing God's will for his people, and if you put all that together, what you would say is that this has been a, a, a pilgrimage of God revealing God's glory. He's revealing the glory of his presence, the presence in the life of his people, and the story of Exodus is the counting of the glorious presence of God. And so the Exodus story comes to this close with the Exodus writer concluding by telling us that now that the people have been faithful to God and building this tabernacle, this transportable sanctuary that they take with them so that they can worship at every step along the way and make sacrifice, we're told that as they are journeying with this tabernacle, from time to time, the cloud and fire of God would descend upon the tabernacle and his glory would be revealed. God's glorious presence. And this glorious presence of God is given very little description except to say that it came in cloud and fire. God's glorious presence. Now, I'm not sure any of us could say that we've experienced such a dramatic encounter with God such as cloud and fire, but I would be willing to bet that most of us could say that at some point in our lives, we have experienced this glorious presence of God. It, it may have not come to us in cloud and fire, but we've had those moments when we have felt God and his glory very, very closely. Some would say that they have experienced it in worship. Some would say they've experienced it in a time of prayer. Some would say they experience it when they are communing with nature. Some would say they experience it in their small group of fellowship. Some would say it was happening when they saw their child being born. Some would say when it was they were ministering to the poor. But in all sorts of ways, God chooses to reveal God's self, to reveal his presence and power. Seldom, though, does anyone say that they have experienced God in a rush. Seldom has anyone said they have experienced God when they were in a hurry. And I wonder if that doesn't explain the response of the people of Israel when we are told that when the glorious presence of God descended upon the tabernacle, the people of God stopped. they stopped. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites, the Exodus writer tells us, would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not set out upon their journey until the time when the cloud had been taken up. In other words, they stopped their journey and they took in the glory. They did not, in fact, resume their journey until the cloud and fire were lifted. They dwelled, in other words, in the presence of God. Now, a lot of things can happen, I suppose, when you choose to dwell in the presence of God, when you choose not to pick up stakes too early. But I wonder if one of the things that happens when you choose to dwell, when you choose not to rush through, but dwell in the presence of God, is that maybe your rhythm becomes a little more like God's rhythm. Your pendulum begins to swing with the divine pendulum. 
You see, when you find yourself in the midst of God's glory, when God breaks into your life and the cloud and fire descend in some form or another, you sense that there really is a lot more to this life than what meets the eye. And you begin to learn that the kingdom of God is really at hand. It is as close as the nose on your face. And you begin to realize that all that time you've been trying to save, it's for these times that you have wanted to save it. A while ago, I was at Panera having lunch, and I was sitting there eating lunch, and a dad and a daughter came in. It evidently was a dad and a daughter. And they sat down at a booth, and, you know, that's right. That's what we save our time for. We save our time for this moment when we get to have lunch with our little girl. So I observed this connection from a distance with great expectation, but then came that moment, shortly after they sat down, when Dad reached to his pocket and pulled out his cell phone. And for a second, I hoped he was going to turn it off. But he dialed, and I watched as he made four or five calls to whomever. And there, sitting right across from him, was Glory, his 12-year-old daughter this precious gift from God. Maybe the very channel of God's glory was before him, and in a couple minutes, she was on her phone too. <laughs> but the rhythm could have been happening in a very different way had it not been enveloped by another rhythm. What might have happened if Dad had chosen to dwell in the moment? Do you ever realize how often the word dwell shows up in the Bible? One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. He who dwelleth in the shelter of the Most High, who dwells in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. You see, when God came to us in Jesus Christ, he came to dwell with us, and he came for us to dwell with him. It does not say that the word became flesh and caught us on the fly. It does not say the word became flesh and talked with us until we got the next phone call. It does not say the word became flesh and tried to accommodate his rhythm to ours. No, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. He stopped and stepped into our lives and stayed a while. But Jesus chose to dwell, to walk with us, and to talk with us. Ever realize how often Jesus stopped to talk? He was stopping all the time to talk, to heal, to teach, to pray, to feed. He stopped. It is a part of what dwelling is about. To reveal his glory is to be dwelling with us. Have you left yourself room to stop? If the resurrected Jesus should appear in the course of your day, would it be in your rhythm to stop? Or maybe a better way to ask it is, are you stopping enough in your rhythm to see the resurrected Jesus who's here? Surprisingly, one of the most significant moments of my two weeks away occurred to me in a place I least expected it to, London's Heathrow Airport. We arrived there about four hours before our flight, so we had lots of time to walk and sit among the thousands of hurried travelers waiting for their planes, when all of a sudden, on the loudspeaker, there came a man's voice who said that in a moment, we were going to observe a 60-second moment of silence 
for the victims of the terrible Grenfell Tower fire where 70 79, by last count, have perished that had taken place just a few days prior. And that is exactly what we did. We stopped. The entire airport stopped and paused and silently put ourselves into the lives of the hundreds of people who had either died or were hurt or were burned or were grieving. The entire airport stopped. Have you ever been inside an airport that has completely stopped? No plane boarding, no bag checking, no coffee service. We just dwelled in the silence of our human connection. We afforded ourselves a different rhythm. So no surprise that the pages of Exodus command us, even inside the Ten Commandments, to stop, to take Sabbath. No surprise that Jesus tells all those he's traveling with to come apart for a while and stop. No surprise that Jesus invites us to come to his table. For these are the stops and the rests in the rhythm of our song that make the harmony. These are the invitations to dwell, to set a spell, to talk, to pray, to read, to merge our little rhythms into God's holy rhythm, to set our pendulum alongside the divine pendulum. For the truth is, my friends, the presence of God is in the present. The resurrected Jesus is in the present. He is alive and he is dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. And what glory, <laughs> what glory if we would just pause.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.